Well, good morning. My name is Brian, and it's good to be with you this morning. Last week, we kicked off our Tough Questions uh, series, and um, uh, I've never had more response than I've had from a sermon uh, that came last week in feedback, and uh, several people have asked, well, was it good feedback? And to be honest, as a preacher, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get feedback. What's healthy? I don't think it's all good feedback is always healthy, but, um, uh, but I have a little quote on my desk, and just to summarize, it says, all the compliments and criticism in the world don't matter if you don't preach what God wants you to say. And I hope that through this whole series, uh, our church can just be focused on scripture and truth and love and saying what God wants us to say uh, to each other, with each other. And uh, if you missed last week, I would encourage you just to listen to it online. A lot of people did that, both from the church and then were shared with lots of other people. And I heard, got lots of long emails and notes and messages, and if I didn't get to respond to you, thank you for your encouragement, and um, I traveled just a little bit this week and didn't get to respond to everybody, but thank you, and I'm glad that God is working in our hearts together and doing some really good stuff, and so today we come to tough question number two, can I really know that God exists, and this is an interesting question to ask on a family worship day with kids here and students here and adults here all together. So let me just give this straight up at the top. Kids, there's going to be one or two things I say that might go just a little bit over your head, but I'm going to come right back to you, so don't give up on me, all right? Adults, I'm going to say just a couple things to you that might go over your head, but just, just stay with me and come right back. Actually, I don't know that I can speak over anybody's head, so that's a good thing about my preaching. Um, I don't like to be too academic, but with this question, we have to talk about philosophy just a tad, but we're going to do some fun stuff too, and I know that for our kids, one of their favorite people in the world works and volunteers in our children's ministry, and I asked him if he would help us today because I knew that he had some expertise in science and illusions and doing some trickery. And I thought that might just be perfect for us. So would you give a hand to one of the favorite children's ministry volunteers, Rod Rogers. Rod, would you come on up? Here you go, go, Rod. I'm going to give you this microphone right here. You want me to hold that for you? I'm going to be Vanna White for just a little bit or the assistant or something like that. All right, uh, we're going to do a little something that, uh, that I've done to kind of get kids thinking about questions that they may have and doubts that they might have. And I'm going to need a couple of helpers. And I asked one, Peyton, would you come up here, Peyton Blanton? Yay, Peyton. And you can just sit in one of these seats right here, sweetheart. And then I've got another... Uh, Hmm. This is another one I had written down. Dave Dunson, or is it <laughs> Dave Dunson? Is Dave Dunson here? Did I mispronounce that? Is it be, be nice? Dave E. Dunson, Davy. <laughs> it says, uh, oh, in small print, it says, "Not a kid." Just wants to act like one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, Let me show you what we're going to do. I have a bag of water here. Right there. And that's my backup. 
I have another bag, a bag of water here that I'm going to use. And really all I'm going to do is poke a hole in either side of this bag and in a way that none of the water will come out. Okay? You, can, you could watch me do this, right? You could watch me do this. Now, I call this the bag of trust because there's going to have to be an element of trust on the part of Dave and Peyton because I'm going to poke this hole while holding the bag over their heads. <laughs> usually, usually this works uh, fine. <laughs> if not, that's what the second bag is for. <laughs> Are you all feeling nervous whatsoever or any questions in your mind? Okay, Peyton, I think you've seen, kind of seen me do this before, haven't you? Yeah, okay. All right, I'll hold this for you. Okay. Get the secret sauce. Pencil there, okay. Instructions say to carefully poke this hole. See, I've got actually, I've actually got to, to go through both sides. So I'll hold it right in the middle, so the water will fall equally on either. <laughs> now, it says to well, do we need Ron to do a drum roll or something? Peyton, you can look up if you if you want to. Okay. Is it now, in? Oh, it's going in. It's going in. It's about halfway through the inside. Y'all see that? Wow. So, Peyton, your side is getting pretty safe. <laughs> <laughs> but the other side, this is where it gets tricky. Okay, I think he's made contact with the other side. Made contact with the other side. And we're just going to move on through. Oh, there it goes. Feel any drips or anything? Break, 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 break. <laughs> Sometimes these glad bags are, they split out at the seams. But hopefully that won't happen today. Oh, by the way, did y'all sign the waiver? <laughs> Is it all the way through? It's all the way through. It's all the way through, guys? Wow. Thank you. So do you two guys have any questions, or any fears or anything whatsoever? I think Miss Judy was more worried than uh, than you two were. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, Mr. Bryan, yes. Would you say a few words? About I would. If you if you want to, go ahead and give Peyton and Dave a hand, and they can be yeah. seated. And uh, there you go, guys. Yeah, 
Give Rod a hand, too. You guys can be seated. Thank you. So it is true that sometimes what you think is going to happen doesn't actually happen. What you think you have figured out doesn't play out. I mean, that it should have made the water come out. The water should have sprung out around the pencil. And if you try that at home, you might have some different results than Rod did. He kind of knew a little trick, some science to it. But today I want to talk about doubt a little bit. And typically when we talk about doubt, we think it's a negative bad thing because we, we talk in terms of when we talk about faith and doubt, that doubt leads you away from faith in God. But I want to flip-flop that a little bit today. I want to challenge your assumption there. What if it was doubt that actually led you to God? You see, when, when uh, I read and uh, people who may not trust God and don't believe in God or visit with people who uh, don't uh, trust God or believe in a God, I hear and read lots of doubts from them. Let me share just a few of those with you. I, I hear a doubt about what is right and what is wrong. And it, this goes like this. Uh, there's a, a saying, kind of a, a cry in our country that said morality is, is relative and what's okay with you um, is okay with you, and I can't say anything about it. And what I do, you can't say anything about, and we have to kind of leave each other alone. And that seems fine and great until you become concerned about something else. This really doesn't play well with civil rights issues. For instance, in many places in the world, females are treated really poorly. They can't vote. They can't choose whom they will marry. They can't go to school. Uh, they can't work uh, and find a job. And oftentimes they're just kind of treated like um, a pet or a belonging, a possession. But if, if you were to go to that uh, community today, fly somewhere in the world and, and, and go there and say, it's not right that the, the women here cannot vote and cannot go to school and are treated in this way, you would get laughed out of the room. You know why? Because they would say, well... That's just a lovely little Western thought that you have. But why don't you just take that on back to the West because you have no right to tell us what to believe. We're living out what we believe, so leave us alone. And you would be really frustrated because you would think, yeah, but there is something wrong with that. Who's to say? If it's okay with them, it's got to be okay with you and everybody else. And so folks who don't trust in God have some doubts when they begin talking about right and wrong, of like, maybe, maybe there is an ultimate right and wrong. There's some doubts about tolerance, and this kind of goes very similar to this. And the idea of tolerance in our society is uh, you be tolerant of me, I'll be tolerant of you, and we have to be okay with everybody regardless of what they do. But the problem with that is if, if everybody out there has to be tolerant, how do you treat somebody who's intolerant? You get really angry at them. And then what have you become? Intolerant. Because if you are intolerant of intolerant people, you're still intolerant. And, and it kind of it's like, okay, well, well, maybe that's not the track we can run on. By the way, Jesus comes and introduces something deeper and more meaningful than the idea of tolerance. It's the idea of love. Way deeper. Way thicker, way better. And there's some doubts about our beginnings. And I, I've had this conversation uh, with a friend um, 
where I was hoping to maybe create just a little bit of doubt within him, but he wanted to talk about origins and where we came, you know, from where we came, the beginnings. And so he talked to me some, and then I got to ask him some questions. And, and basically, it went like this. So, you know, from where did we come? Well, we came from kind of this cosmic uh, explosion of stuff. Well, where did that stuff, you know, where, from where did it come? Well, it, it, was, it came from this kind of goo that was out there. From where did it come? Well, it came from some, where did, and you just keep going, and you can actually never arrive at an answer that satisfies the person who needs an answer. And so some folks become, be, begin to doubt, well, maybe, maybe my way of thinking doesn't make sense. And maybe the more that somebody starts to have, has kids and a family, and they look into their kid's room, and they're like, oh, what happened in here? The kid went in and just went to the toy box and started throwing stuff behind him. Kids, anybody do that? And they start throwing stuff behind them, looking for that toy. And here's what never happens. They never look behind them and see like, the Statue of Liberty made out of Legos. That that would not accidentally happen if you were just chucking stuff out of your toy box. No, if the Statue of Liberty was going to be built, you'd have to have somebody working really hard and really artistic to put it all together. And then we begin to look at our world and say, yeah, something, someone must have put all of this together. And so, so many people have had doubts about the beginnings and thinking, well, maybe there might be a creator or something that had some intelligence to put this all together. There's some doubts about logic. We can say, well, we can't trust anything but my own logic. From where did your logic come? You kind of have to trace it all the way back to the goo. So can we trust our own logic? And a number of philosophers have begun to question, well, can I really trust my own logic or anyone's own logic? And this, I think this last one is a big one. I hear lots of people doubting the idea of, is there any meaning? In other words, is there any meaning in life? Does anything really matter? In Greek mythology, there was a guy named uh, Sisyphus. Okay, I don't know. He wasn't a sissy. He was actually kind of a meanie. He was uh, arrogant. And just the short story is that in this make-believe Greek mythological story, he is cast into eternal punishment. And his punishment is, for eternity, every day he wakes up, and he has to push this giant boulder up this hill. And he pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes. And at the very end of the day, when he's almost made it to the top, he loses his grip or it becomes too heavy and it becomes too st- steep. And he slips and the rock rolls all the way back down to the bottom. And he walks to the bottom of the hill. And the next day begins and he begins pushing it up the hill again. And it happens every single day. Over and over for all of eternity. That's his punishment. And you talk about uh, just meeting, like what it would be like to push that rock up the hill and to know it's going to fall back down. So all of your work, all of your life just becomes meaningless. That story may not translate real well if you have not done a lot of manual labor. So let me throw another one out here. You have to write a research paper. And so you write the research paper and you write it and you write it. One time I was writing a research paper and like any good college student, I was finishing at about 2.30 in the morning. And uh, I, was, I was like a paragraph from being done. And my legs were kind of falling asleep. And so I crossed them to try to wiggle them around. And I kicked the cord out of the wall. And I remember when the computer went like, Meow, and just screaming and yelling like, no, 
this can't be happening to me. Imagine if that was your life every single day. And you knew as you slaved away on that research paper that you were going to kick the cord out somehow before you got done. And everything was just meaningless. Well, this, this idea is what many people in our culture, in our world, and throughout history have struggled with. Does my life really matter? Uh, in his book, Confession, by Leo Tol- Tolstoy, he questions the meaning of life. Listen to this quote. My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of nearly ending my life was the simplest of questions. What will come of what I am doing today? Or what shall do tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Do you hear the doubts there? That in this moment, he has this vulnerable moment where he begins to doubt. And thinking, surely, surely my life should count for something. There's got to be some meaning out there. And if, if life had no meaning, then none of your actions would matter. So if you were, Timothy Keller says, if you were on the Titanic and it was going down and you, and you had like five minutes left before you died, if life had no meaning, it would not matter if you were hugging someone or mugging someone. Okay? It just wouldn't matter. Give somebody a hug, great. Mug them, hey, give me your wallet. The guy would be like, we're going to die. Here you go. Punch me in the stomach too. What's it matter? And life just has no, none of your actions matter. And you could say, well, you should do what's best for society. Whose society? Yours? Because sometimes people have done what's best for them and their family and their city and their country, but it was not the best thing for someone else's family and city and country. And so who's to say? And suddenly life feels like it has no meaning. Um, uh, Leonard Bernstein uh, was not a believer in God, and yet he had this famous quote. uh, He said it on live television, And he was talking about Beethoven's Fifth, maybe the greatest piece of music ever written. And he said, listening to Beethoven's Fifth, you get the feeling there's something right with the world. Something that checks throughout. Something that follows its own laws consistently. Something we can trust that will never let us down. So listening even to a piece of music made someone who was a skeptic, a doubter, begin to have doubts in their own doubts. Begin to think, there's something about even that music that draws me to God, something beautiful, something artistic. It, it was kind of his way of saying, I don't believe in God, except when I do, except when it feels like. And there was these moments of doubt that he had. And so you might be sitting here thinking, okay, well, fine. Maybe lots of these worldviews, people maybe who, who reject God, maybe they should have some doubts. But where does that really lead us? What do we do with that? Where do we go from here? How does that make me feel any better about somebody who has faith? Well, let, let, me, let me say this to you. Doubt is a place we're all going to visit. And if you say, I've never doubted anything, I think you're probably just pretending. You're probably faking lots of things in life. Doubt is a place we visit, but it is not a place we should live. It's a place we visit, but it's not a place we should live. Uh, It's fine. If you want to doubt your whole life about whether the dinosaurs died from a meteorite or not, doubt away. Okay? There's plenty of things in life that we can kind of doubt. Is is that really what happened? Or, you know, is... Are the stoplights downtown? Are they really lined up that I can hit all the greens in a row? You can doubt some things in life, and that's fine. And you can doubt whether God exists. But don't live in that doubt your whole life. At some point, for the grand, great questions of life, 
we have to land in doubt, but then move beyond to some sort of commitment, to some sort of answer. Please don't just think that your doubt is so normal that you want to live there your entire existence. Go somewhere, move somewhere. So if you come today with doubt, I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm glad that we can be on this journey together. We want you to know that we love you and we, we don't uh, want to judge you for where you are. Uh, we want to welcome you on this journey and realize that all of us have had different points of our life where we were in doubt. So thank you for, for being here. And if you're someone doubting either direction, I'm just glad that you're here. And today we want to talk about someone from the Bible who can really help us here. And you'll probably be able to identify with him. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. So after Jesus' death on the cross, one of his disciples named Thomas was full of doubts. Do you remember Thomas? So he would have known for a fact that Jesus had died. And then he would have also known that suddenly there were rumors. There were stories. These two guys on the road to Emmaus, some of uh, the ladies who were following Jesus, some of uh, his closest friends were saying, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. The tomb is empty. And so he's hearing these this reports. And after going through all this trauma and this grief and this fear and this anger, Thomas is at this place where he's like, I can't believe you unless I, I, I can't trust unless I actually see Jesus, unless I put my hands where the nails went. I need proof of this. So that leads us to our text, John chapter 20. And we're going to begin in verse 24. Let's read that. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Those are the kinds of things you need to say when the doors are all locked, and then you appear to a group of people who are inside with the doors locked, okay? Calm down. Peace be with you. But he always comes in peace. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas went from being a doubter to full of faith. In fact, uh, history and tradition tell us that he was so full of faith and so trusting in God that he spread the gospel all the way to India where he would be martyred for his faith, um, uh, killed with a lance or a spear. That's how much faith he had. He went from a doubter to full of faith. I think sometimes we give Thomas too hard of a time because haven't many of us been in the same place? Like, I need proof, God. So I want to talk about faith for just a couple minutes and talk about three things that faith involves. And maybe you have not thought about what all faith involves, but there's three things from this text. First of all, faith involves understanding. I think sometimes we think that faith is the opposite of understanding. It actually involves understanding. That means it involves questioning, investigating, researching, figuring it out. Hebrew says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In other words, it includes but also goes beyond what we can see. Some of you understand this story really well. 
You've been told by a doctor, you need to have surgery. Here's why. One, two, three, four, five reasons. Here's the good thing about the surgery. It's fairly simple. It's fairly routine. I do five of these every day. You're going to be fine within a week. Everything's going to be okay. And you are thoroughly convinced, I got to have the surgery. This is a good thing. You have faith in the doctor. You have faith in the procedure. Everything is good. But on the day of surgery, you wake up a little nervous. You get to the, to the hospital. You walk into the room and you see that stuff. Those tools, the knives, those big tweezers and things that you don't even recognize. And the people are putting on all this stuff to cover themselves up from whatever's going to happen. And you're full of doubt. Maybe this isn't such a good idea. And you're looking for the exit door. And at that moment, you have to go back in your mind and think, now what did the doctor tell me? Now why am I doing this? One, two, three, four, five. (laughs) And I need this, and it is routine, and I'm going to trust. But you come to that moment where faith can move beyond what we can see, but just because it's beyond what we can see does not mean we did not do our homework, that we investigated, that we tried to understand. Jesus does not discourage Thomas from investigating, does he? Jesus doesn't say, "You, you you can't look at my hands. You just need to trust me. He doesn't stay outside and say, hey, Thomas, is this really me? He doesn't leave just a letter. He actually shows up to Thomas. Can you take a moment to appreciate that? That Thomas, in the midst of his doubt, Jesus meets him and says, I'm going to answer all the questions you have. I'm here. Investigate. Put your hands right here if you need to. Whatever you need to do. I'm here. I'm an open book. So Thomas does this. Last week, we watched uh, the story of my friend Caleb, who joined the Bible study in order to disprove the Bible. And yet, as he became part of that, he began to realize, wow, the Bible's a little more solid than I realized. And Caleb is kind of an academic guy, and he was doing all this research, and he realized it actually holds up to my criticism and beyond even my doubts. And then he began, the people who were teaching me about the Bible actually care for me in a way that nobody else has cared for me. And the doubts began to go away because... It involved understanding. He was led to faith. So faith involves understanding. Jesus, in his own teaching, says things like, consider the birds of the air. What does that mean? Think about it. Think about the birds. Jesus is always drawing us to think, to understand, uh, to use our minds. So faith involves understanding. Faith also involves conviction. There's the moment where Thomas sees Jesus, and he is convicted, he is convinced, and that moment... Everything changes in his mind, right? It's, 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 for some people, it takes a lot longer than that. And it's kind of a process. But for him, it's just like that. I think about the soldier who helped kill and put Jesus on the cross. And he's watching all of this unfold. He's seeing the people uh, mistreat Jesus. He's seeing the people who are weeping. He sees the sky go black. All of this happens. And do you remember what he says once Jesus has died? Surely this is the Son of God. He, what happened there? I, I imagine during this whole part, he's, in, he's analyzing. He's like, this doesn't add up. Jesus isn't like the other people. What, what all is happening? And in that moment, he is convinced. He is convicted. And uh, I, I read about a, a snake that had been spotted in Maine. And so all these people are calling the wildlife department saying, there's a huge snake. And the wildlife people are saying, there's no big snakes in Maine. You know, you're just seeing something. It was probably a a big tree limb or whatever they were saying. And uh, finally this past week, two police officers 
both together witnessed a 10-foot snake eating a beaver. So it's a big snake that can eat a big animal. And they actually watched it eat the beaver and then get into the river and go to the other side. And then when they called, people believed them because they needed, I guess, reputable authorities to confirm that they had seen a snake. But they believed these guys. And so at that moment, everybody there was like, oh, there really is a snake. Now we've investigated. Now we have this eyewitness report. And so faith comes to this point where we become convicted and convinced. And faith, thirdly, involves commitment. We see that in the rest of the life of Thomas and even in the death of Thomas. Faith involves commitment. It's this I trust Jesus attitude regardless of what comes my way. Sometimes God's attributes are mysteriously and majestically joined. Think about the Israelites. There's a time in, in the wilderness where God comes in this cloud. So there's a cloud that reveals God, but it also kind of hides God. Sometimes that's how it feels like on our faith journey, that we see much, we see all this evidence, all of these things that point us to God, but we still can't quite figure him completely out. And let me just speak to that for a moment. I am glad that I don't worship a God that I can fully understand because that would make him a little less impressive. Francis Chan said, trying to understand the full heart and mind of love of God is like trying to scoop up the Pacific Ocean with a Pepsi can. I mean, it's just too big and too overwhelming, and we can get little bits and pieces here, but we cannot fully fathom it. And that's the part of faith that goes beyond just reason, beyond just science, beyond what I can find out. It's this faith that says, trust me. God says, trust me. And this faith moves us beyond what even makes sense. When Jesus spoke to Thomas, he says, You've seen me and believed. Blessed are those who will not see me, but they'll still believe. That's you. Who have not seen Jesus walking around. You did not see Jesus die and then see him again coming up out of the tomb. But you still believe and Jesus knew that you were coming. So there's this faith element where we say we're committed even when we do not understand the suffering in life. Later this fall, we're going to go through the book of Job. And how do we deal with suffering and still have faith? It's this faith that says we're committed even when faith costs us safety or comfort. We're committed to helping others move from doubt to faith. For the Christian here, and you've investigated, you you understand, and you've been convicted, and you've committed I want to ask you this question. Are you helping other people come to faith? That's the million-dollar question for you today. Are you helping other people come to faith? Here's what I know. That if you're going to help other people come to faith, yes, you have to be willing to enter some discussions, to ask some good questions, to be willing to, to listen, to have conversations, to have your own faith kind of challenged in that as you listen. But it also means that you've got to love the socks off of people. What would have happened if Thomas to the other disciples says, I'm not, I'm not believing anything until I actually see Jesus? What if Peter and John would have started making fun of him? Like, oh, doubting Thomas, once you get out of here, who are, how could you even doubt? You idiot. You stupid. <laughs> and they start, we stereotype Thomas. Thomas is probably going to run away and leave, right? They could have actually prevented Thomas 
from ever coming to be with Jesus. And you can do the same thing for people. The person who's searching hard enough will find Jesus. But you can make it awfully difficult for people. You can put obstacles in front of people. And if there's one thing Jesus hates, it's when people put obstacles in front of other people trying to come to him. Oh, don't do that. Remember when he gets angry about the disciples running the kids off? Don't, don't stand in the way of those kids coming to me. You let people come to me. And so one of the greatest ways that you can allow people to investigate and to try to understand and actually move into faith of Jesus is just to love them. Love, love, love them. And it means that you love the people. The people, they'll make you uncomfortable. They'll frustrate you. They'll have a different worldview. They might make you angry. They might even mistreat you. Those are the very people we are called to love the most so that we can remove anything we can from them actually coming to faith because that's our job, to help other people come to faith. There's a young lady who uh, gave her life to uh, Christ and wanted to help people who were in the worst of situations, traveled to, uh, um, she was, was living in another country and trying to help uh, provide relief to people who were greatly suffering. And uh, during this brutal attack, she was kidnapped by ISIS terrorists. She was abused terribly, and she ended up being killed. And I was reading an article about that, and I made the mistake of reading a few of the comments below. That's always a mistake. But I read a few of the comments, and I was just stunned and saddened by the number of people who said, what was she doing in a place like that anyway? Nobody should ever go over there. Nobody should try to help those people until they take care of all the problems themselves on their own. And I thought, oh, if you could only have a conversation with her, she would tell you something quite different. She would say, I'll do it all again because God has put this love in me, this faith in me that goes beyond what you can even understand. And there is a faith that God gives that will take us to places and will lead us to love people in ways that cannot be scientifically understood. That's what following Christ means, that we have this faith where we have joy and we have peace and we have love and we have kindness and gentleness, where we have this perseverance that goes beyond what is scientifically understandable, beyond the human capacity. That's the faith that Christ is calling us into. And if you're somebody who's here wrestling with doubts, we're glad that you're here and we would love to walk with you in your journey. If we can pray with you, if we can sit down and have lunch with you, if we can visit with you, we would love to do that. If you're here some, some, and you, you're following Christ, but to be honest, you're not real active in helping other people find faith, then I want to ask for today to be a time of repentance and confession for you where you commit to sharing your faith with others and loving other people who are different than you and helping them come to faith too because that's what Christ has called us to. Well, some folks up front during this next song kind of on the corners, uh, if you'd like to come and just pray with somebody and visit with somebody, we'd be glad to do that. If you want to mark on your card uh, that you would like for someone to meet with you, we would love to do that as well. Would you stand and let me pray for us? God, we thank you that you uh, have given us enough to investigate, to research, to use our minds. You gave us enough. Thank you for that. Thank you that we can research and try to come to understanding and And God, you even gave us your son. We can look back historically and see his life. We can look at literature and see that it adds up and 
we can even see what it does in our own lives and the lives of Christians who follow you. And I pray for people of doubt today uh, that they could take some steps to being people of faith, that they could at least be honest and walking where the answers lead. And I pray for the rest uh, who may already have faith, but maybe they need to be sharing that faith uh, way more than they are right now and investing in other people's lives. And so convict us of that as well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.